Welcome to another edition of Revealing the Diamond. I'm your host, Tiago Prem. This week on the show, we're going to talk about the path of yoga, the path of recovery, the path of living a spiritual life, uh, which those of you who've been listening to the show, you know that I see them as synonymous terms or the same path. Uh, so I really wanted to tune into that. I heard uh, on a podcast I was listening to, they were talking about this poem by St. Augustine, and I'm not going to break uh, down the poem in its fullness, but uh, the, the sort of uh, general vibe of the, of the poem or the writing was something to the effect of like, how could I know God if I don't know myself? And wow, when I heard those words, I was like, that has definitely been my journey and I know, uh, especially as somebody who uh, uh, at times sits in the seat of teacher and also sits in the seat of student, and I'm learning that sitting in the seat of student is the most important seat of the two, um, you know, through the years. Uh, but, uh, you know, like the challenging thing, I think, is is that when somebody's learning from you, uh, from your experiences on these paths, which are one path, recovery, spirituality, and yoga, uh, it, when when they find out that you haven't arrived or that you don't know all the answers or that you changed, um, it can be, uh, what's the word, disconcerting, confusing, um, you can feel abandoned and betrayed. And I get that. I've had that experience with teachers and I, and I thought just like, and I know I've done this on the show before, but I just thought after hearing that, I thought I would, I would talk a little bit about the path and how it's not linear and how uh, through moving through these cycles of healing, uh, we learn more and more about ourselves. And in doing so, we're able to be of, of service in whatever avenue that is, whether it's sharing yoga or, or you know, seva, uh, selfless service or creative pursuits or all of the above. So that's what we're going to do today. But before I get into that, I want to say a big thank you to everyone who's been subscribing to the show. Uh, so you can, for $4.99 a month, I believe it's $4.99 a month, you can get access to the whole series that we did on Bhagavad Gita. And then uh, starting this month, I'm going to do a similar uh, sort of series on the Yoga Sutras. And so if you are a full-time uh, student in the Tattva's Yoga Studies program, uh, you'll have access to those, but also you can become a supporter of the Tattva's Yoga Studies program through this podcast by paying $4.99 a month, um, and you'll get access to all of those subscribed episodes as well. And we'll start with the Yoga Sutras next month. I'll still keep putting out these uh, free uh, episodes as often as I can. And also want to let you know that coming soon, there's going to be more opportunities to practice with me in person in Vancouver. So stay tuned for that. Um, and remember that one of the best ways to spend time with me is to become a full-time student of tattvas by going to tattvasyoga.com. And I'll just leave it there for now. No big announcements for today. Just kind of putting out the feelers there. Uh, for y'all, and uh, yeah, let's get into today's episode right here on Revealing the Diamond. So what I want to do is um, 
I don't want to spend too much time because I've done it in previous episodes, but I do want to speak um, sort of like the path I've walked and uh, in yoga and in recovery, um, and hopefully it will be of service to you on your journey. Uh, I just read, I'm now currently doing a year-long mentorship program with an Ashtanga teacher named Taylor Hunt, uh, who was also uh, an addict, uh, much like myself, and I just read his book while well, I listened to it, actually, <laughs> on Audible, and highly recommend it. Uh, I think it's called Away from Darkness, but you can find it under his name, Taylor Hunt. Uh, it's a great, very inspiring, very intense story about how he uh, found freedom from Ashtanga Yoga, uh, from some pretty hardcore uh, drug abuse um, and lifestyle choices. So definitely recommend checking that out. It's really inspiring, and I've been really enjoying my time with Taylor. So big shout out to Taylor on, on the journey. And uh, it just kind of inspired me to sort of loop back and share some of my experience, but through the lens of how yoga came into my life. And so what I want to say, first of all, is that when I first got interested in yoga, I was in a live-in, one-year-long live-in treatment facility, and it was a Christian-based uh, treatment facility, and it was on a farm. And it was, you know, I remember the first day I went there, the fellow who was running the program, he had spent a lot of his life in jail, and he was sober and had his life changed uh, by a relationship with Jesus. And uh, he told me the day that I went there, and without smiling or laughing, I mean, he was a pretty hard dude. And he said to me, you know, this is harder than jail because you can walk out at any moment, and you can walk out. You know, if you, if you really want to change your life, you can do it. And God is faithful, um, but you're going to have to like buckle down and, and get this get the shit done because it ain't going to be easy. And uh, it wasn't easy. You know, I stayed for, this is before uh, yoga. I mean, as you know from my story, I had heard about yoga much earlier um, from the pages of Bhagavan Das's book and the Beat Generation and sort of my relationship to yoga and Eastern philosophy, which I loved, was like more <laughs> around psychedelics and uh, drinking wine and train hopping and hitchhiking and graffiti culture and more, more just like um, being a wild child and uh, in some ways interested in Eastern philosophy as a, a way of rebelling against uh, the spirituality that I was raised around, which was uh, the Christian faith. Um, and by the way, I'm so grateful for all of those experiences, um, but I didn't really practice anything. My mind was uh, open to new ideas, but I didn't have a practice. So that's kind of my first introduction. And then when I'm uh, 20 years old or so, I mean, I did here and there try things, but it wasn't consistent. That's the best way to say it. And then when I was around 20, found myself in uh, this treatment center and I went for three months and, you know, it was too hard. I couldn't do it. It was too much. Uh, there was definitely some detoxing going on. There was definitely um, not used to uh, being in other people's space, people processing, angry, um, you know, whatever their trip was. And so after three months, I left. 
And uh, it took about two weeks of being out of the treatment center to realize, like, I got to go back. I got, I have serious problems. And for me at that time in my life to recognize that I had serious problems was big. You know what I mean? Like now, if I look back and I think, oh, wow, that life, how did you live like that? But at the time, I was still questioning, like, well, maybe I can do it on my own. And it was very obvious after two weeks that um, I was going to wind up dead or in jail. And I didn't want those things, you know, as wild and crazy as I was. Some part of me knew that I had a higher calling. And I was always a very spiritual person. You can ask people who knew me in those days. I was intelligent and uh, pretty well read for a young person (laughs) with serious drug problems. Um, But, yeah, I felt an inner pull towards something, you know, a little more spiritual than... uh, coming in and out of jail and that kind of life. So I went back with my tail between my legs and I had to start the program again. So three months left, start again, finish the program in a year. Now, while I was doing that, you know, they, it was, like I said, it was faith-based. So I had to like really dig through the library there to find things that I actually wanted to read. And I did find some great things. Um, I, I loved and continue to love worship and gospel music. It really is uh, bhakti yoga, um, devotional practice, and it moves me in, you know, continues to move me. And, and I can get to that. Like, you know, I w- had a great resistance to anything related to Christianity while I was in that rehab center and did for many, many years until recently. And we can get to that. Um, so I had to like dig through this library there and find things that I actually wanted to read. I read Man in Black by Johnny Cash. That was a game changer for me. Uh, that one was allowed. Um, what else did I read? Some C.S. Lewis. Uh, that was really moving. Um, yeah, and anything with sort of a hint of mysticism. I mean, obviously I read people like Augustine, I read some Philip Yancey while I was in there. I read some uh, St. John of the Cross while I was in there. I read, you know, I didn't get to read people like Rob Bell, who I love now uh, at that time. But I did what I could to find uh, writers that inspired uh, me while I was in there. And then at some point, my mom started smuggling in books for me <laughs> by Thich Nhat Hanh and um, more of the yoga persuasion. Like when you watch on prison movies, how they're bringing in the contraband. Moms was bringing in the Eastern philosophy because I was just hungry for it. Um, anyways, so once I had been there for a while, you started to be able to get like a day pass or like a weekend pass once you've been there for a long time. And you could go home and see your family or go for the evening and go have a dinner or whatever. And so what my mom would do is she would take me to see her friend. Her name was Valerie. Uh, she was a like an oil, oil executive kind of person, uh, single, power suit, made a lot of money, like mover and shaker in that uh, world. And I guess the way that the story goes is that she had a uh, panic attack, essentially, because of stress. 
And then, you know, she took time away from her job and went to India and had this moving experience uh, with a meditation practice in this organization called the Brahma Kumaris. And so I would go when I had my time and go and sit with uh, Valerie and we would do yoga. And the yoga was meditation, essentially. And then there would be like a, a Dharma talk or a conference after and they'd talk about spiritual truths and I, I loved those experiences. They were amazing. Um, you know, there, you would gaze into this like single pointed uh, painting of like a point of light. And I remember having like some pretty psychedelic experiences gazing into that light, no substance necessary. And um, I remember thinking like, yeah, I really want to explore this. Like every time I come across yoga, you know, early in... in my even from the oh, cracking the pages of Bhagavan Das or reading the Dharma Bums by Jack Kerouac, like there was always this part of me that was like, "Yep, that's me." You know what I mean? Like I just felt at home with it, and so when I was with her, I felt at home with it. And so when I got out of my fifteen months of rehab, I was like, "Okay, I want to explore this more," and that's when I went to uh, college and focused on religious studies and with a focus on eastern philosophy and yoga philosophy as much as i could um a professor there really gave me a lot of guidance around bhagavad-gita and around yoga sutras and around the vedas and that kind of uh, thing but at the same time i i you know i got a rehab and was kind of like well as long as I like tone down the criminal behavior and as long as I tone down the drug, drug use, cannabis and alcohol, like it's not really that big of a deal, which is such BS looking back. And people around me were kind of like, well, the people who knew me, I, I kind of convinced them that I had everything under control. Uh, if they knew I'd been in rehab and everybody else, I just pretended like that never happened. I just stuffed it down, pretended that that all that 15 months did not exist, which is wild to think about, right? Like I was just like, okay, I did the thing. Now let me just get back to the way it was. I just wasn't ready yet. And so I went back and into party lifestyle. I always loved being around music. So it was like DJing, partying, making money, just being crazy and uh, then on the side like secretly reading <laughs> books on Eastern philosophy and the Upanishads and Bhagavad Gita and um, doing a yoga class here and there essentially. And you know that went on for quite some time and then I kind of fell off from the uh, studying yoga aspects um, and just did like just tried to scrape by and, and get great decent grades in school thinking oh, I'll just become a professor and be like one of my heroes Alan Watts and just like drink as much as I want and uh, just share you know divine insights and you know a lot of my uh, heroes like they did psychedelics and drank and so like why couldn't I do that and it took me a long time to realize that you know, like I didn't want that. I I used their uh, substance use as an excuse to continue on with harmful behavior in my life. And 
you know, I hurt a lot of people in the process. And I'm really thankful that I had access to some teachings that helped me to navigate that. But I was still a mess. There's no doubt about it. And I remember uh, my friend Kirby, shout out to my friend Kirby Criddle and my homeboy, The Gaff, incredible DJ and friend. I remember her saying to me one time, you know, we were throwing these big parties called Tiger Beat while I was in college. And it's just like straight debauchery, loud music. It was like when the like blogger house kind of movement was happening and we were mashing together like indie rock and house and hip hop and, and dance hall and just going wild, you know, and, and touring around and sharing music, going wild, being crazy. And I remember um, my friend Kirby, she said to me, you know, I'm thinking about doing this yoga teacher training. And I know you're like a pretty spiritual guy. And like, I think you might be into it. And I was like, cool. Yeah, let's let's do that. Uh, and she said, yeah, come. There's like an info session and uh, they're going to do uh, ex- yoga exercises. So just wear like workout clothes. And I wasn't doing much working out. But I, as you all know, those of you who know me, I'm a basketball fiend. So I had basketball stuff. So I wore my basketball stuff and I went to the class and we were late of course and um i remember like okay i guess i gotta go right up front and i thought oh we're gonna just stretch and you know maybe have like a meditative experience like i had with valerie and just like trip out staring at a point of light and it was a jiva mukti yoga class and in the jiva mukti yoga class it was you know inspired by ashtanga and so it was ujjayi breathing it was a strong practice and she played devotional music and it was really challenging for me but the athlete in me loved the challenge even though i couldn't do a lot of things and ended up looking around the room trying to figure out like am i doing this right am i hearing this right are we do is this actually what she's asking me to do? And then like looking at my friend Kirby and being like, oh, she's doing it. I guess it's possible. And I remember at the end of that practice, just like laying down in a puddle of sweat and thinking these exact words, like that was better than any drug I've ever done. Those exact words went through my head. And I was like, I'm in, I'm going to do this course. And so I did the course, and I can't remember how long it was. It was probably nine months or something like that. And Manorma, um, who's amazing, American Sanskrit Institute, or I'm not quite sure which one it is, but she's one of the leading American scholars in the study of Sanskrit and mantra recitation, so I met her. I met this cat, Carl Straub, who was a cool Jiva Mukti teacher, um, and just spent a lot of time like learning how to share Jiva Mukti yoga. I love that there was a, it was centered around uh, activism, and I loved the music component back then. And uh, yeah, it was life changing. And so, big shout out, Kirby, for get my feet on the path. And, and I started teaching some teen yoga classes, which was cool. I loved teaching yoga to teens back then because I would just be like, bet you can't do this and just give them a bunch of hard stuff to do. 
Uh, so that was really inspiring. And, uh, but still, man, you know, like I had this dual life and I missed a couple classes cause I was hungover high. And, you know, I really wanted to, I, like I said, I felt really at home with this, but I just wasn't ready yet. And so I kept fucking up, getting into trouble. Um, I, I had, was in a relationship young and, uh, with a beautiful person who, you know, salt of the earth, really grateful for the time that we had. But man, I just was not in the place to really uh, show up in that relationship. And we were young, so it didn't work out. And uh, I ended up, we ended up splitting. And uh, she eventually took her Jiva Mukti teacher training. So, you know, we were both yogis at heart. Uh, just not ready yet to make that kind of connection because we were young and crazy. Well, I I'll take I'll just uh, take accountability for myself and say I was young and crazy. Um, so you know I moved back to the city that I grew up in after we split, and um, I was gonna make a go of it there, and I've just fell right back into bad habits and this inner part of me was like dude we got to do this yoga thing like this is this is what we're here for you know that inner knower i talk about on the show the inner knower was like you got to do the yoga thing man and it's not going to happen here and so one thing led to another and i came out to the west coast and i was committed to really doing the yoga thing so you know, I took a job at Whole Foods and I met uh, my homie Aaron Ash from Gorilla Foods, like one of the OGs in the raw vegan movement out here on the coast. Shout out Aaron Ash. Another good homie, Andrew Clements, we met uh, working uh, in Whole Foods together, capers and kits. And I started teaching and I started uh, going to this place called Babylon back in the day and doing Ashtanga yoga with Chris and Kevin. And, um, yeah, I was really committed to doing it. And, you know, I still had a little party in me, but I didn't know anybody. So it was harder to, like, rage as much. And I didn't have any money. And the thing, when, when I was in Calgary, the city where I grew up, it was easy for me to get money because I could go and DJ and get paid in cash or work in my friend's sneaker and record shop, get paid in cash and just hustle, you know? But when I came to a new city, you know, the hustle was yoga and that's what I wanted to reorient and do the yoga thing. Uh, my soul was calling me to that path. And, you know, to be honest, like I still wasn't ready to say like, Oh yeah. And the like drinking in the weeds, a problem. Like, I was like, well, you know, as long as I'm not putting needles in my arm or powder up my nose, then it's okay. Which, yeah, nice try, buddy, <laughs> looking back. You know what I'm saying? But I always say it, Alan Watts was like a blessing and a curse in my life because he really opened my eyes when I started reading his books as a teenager. Um, but then, you know, his relationship to substance kept me hanging on, too, because I thought, oh, if he can do it, so can I. And I didn't really grasp the concept from the Bhagavad Gita that says that it's better to live your own dharma poorly than the dharma of another well. And I was caught in this trap of like trying to be like someone who inspires me 
rather than seeking my relationship with God and self first and foremost, and then allowing that to be where I moved from. Like the quote I shared at the start of the episode, like, if you don't know yourself, how can you know God? These things go together. And I was lost. You know, I can look back and see I was lost. I was looking for yoga. I didn't know I was looking for recovery. I didn't know I was looking for God, but I knew that I was looking for yoga. So I started uh, teaching and I, I, I started using a lot of the music that was inspiring uh, me when I was DJing for years and bringing that into the space, but also some devotional music and then also doing some Ashtanga yoga in the early mornings. And I was doing good, meeting new people. And uh, I started up this thing called One Love Yoga. And I was, you know, once a week playing reggae and dub music and doing like real fiery practice and attracting a lot of people and, and trying my best to share what I understood the spiritual teachings of the practice to be with folks and then, you know, having a party life on the weekend, kind of living these two lives, which is part of my karma, right? I've been working on that karma for half my life, 20 years. Um, anyhow, uh, it was in those early years when I was doing the Ashtanga and doing the One Love Yoga and trying my best to just like drink and smoke weed and not take harder drugs because somehow that was acceptable inside of my messed up mind at the time. Um, you know, I, uh, I met some friends and they said, you should come up to Whistler and meet this teacher, Tina James. I think you'd really like her. And the trippy thing is, here's a couple of trippy things. So one trippy thing is the first time we go, we go in somebody's car and the car is a Volkswagen and it looks exactly like this Volkswagen I used to get high in when I was in high school. It looked exactly like it. And my friend, uh, he's a really amazing artist. Shout out to uh, William C. Wilsey, if you're listening to this. Shout out, brother. We've been friends since I was five years old. But um, maybe six, <laughs> give or take. We met in swim camp. Um, so check this out. He had these custom decals he was a good artist and and he cut out like this figure of a woman and she was like looking back over her shoulder and then like on her booty she had the volkswagen symbol like really graffiti culture kind of vibe and i was like sitting in this car i was like this car reminds me of this car i used to get high in and then i like i was in the back and i got right up to the window and i could see the outline of the woman's figure and I was like, yo, this is the car that I used to get high in in high school. Isn't that wild? So we're going, she's like, oh yeah, I bought it from somebody. Yeah, I think it came from Alberta. So trippy. So I'm going up for my first time to meet Tina up there. And uh, we, I think like we used to go there on Thursday nights. And so the first time must have been a Thursday night. We were heading up to take this practice. And uh, the woman who I had done the Jiva Mukti teacher training with, at some point she gave me a photograph. And the photograph had David Life and Sharon Gannon, longtime Ashtanga practitioners who started the Jiva Mukti Yoga method. 
Um, so it was them. And then the teacher I was learning from, her name is Jan. She's since passed away. So much love and respect to Jan for helping me to get my feet on the path. And then there was this fourth person in the picture. And I remember a couple times, like I just have it sitting on my altar where I would do my morning prayers. And I remember one time thinking to myself, like, oh, maybe I'll just cut the fourth person out of the picture. I don't really know them. like, But it's kind of nice because it's four people. It keeps it balanced. So I just left this random person on the altar for a couple years. Brought that with me, you know, when I came out to Vancouver. And then here we are in this car that I used to get high in when I was in high school before I went to rehab. And then, uh, you know, we get up there and we meet Tina and she's just divine. You know, she speaks with a British accent. She's climbed Everest. She's about as tough as they come. She was on that show Gladiator, you know, and spent a long time in Mysore and New Patabi Joyce and Ashtanga Yoga and um anyhow we meet her and i'm like oh whoa this is the lady from the picture that's been on my altar for these all these years and we hit it off right away like you know mother and son to this day to the fullest we don't get to see each other as much as i'd like to but tina thank you for everything anyhow I started going up there more and more, connecting more and more, and uh, she was doing the Jiva Mukti and Ashtanga thing, and, you know, I was like, why am I living down in Vancouver? This is the person I want to be studying with and around, and so we found a way for me to make it happen, and I went up and lived in Whistler, and I would walk down to the chalet in the morning, and I remember one morning I was teaching the morning program and Fiona Stang from Ashtanga Yoga Vancouver came and I was so nervous because she was this, you know, well-revered Ashtanga Yoga practitioner and I was supposed to, this young uh, kid, you know, serve her in her practice. So shout out to Fiona and all those years ago when I met you and It's amazing to see how steady she's been sharing uh, the practice of Ashtanga Yoga at AYV here in Vancouver and how many amazing people came out of that community. And um, anyhow, so I I, I spent time up there and I was like, this is it. I'm just going to study with Tina, you know, do the Jiva Mukti thing, do the Ashtanga thing, and I'm good. David, I got to meet David Life and Sharon Gannon. I get to meet Shamdas, who came, and he's since passed. He was amazing, and uh, really dive into the practice. And then when I would be in the city, I could go to Babylon, and uh, I was teaching on the weekends in the city, and then teaching up with Tina. Anyways, that all fell apart because um, somebody was mismanaging the hotel where the yoga studio was, and Tina ended up losing the studio, and You know, she had some challenges. Her husband left, and she had some health issues. And she's a warrior, man. Wow. Like, if anybody is a living example of how powerful the medicine of a consistent sadhana is, Tina James is a living, breathing example. So I I didn't have anywhere to work. And she was like, well, you could drive a taxi in Whistler. I was like, I don't think I'm driving a taxi. I I came all the way out here to teach, so I got to teach. So I came down, back down the mountain, 
and uh, met this beautiful gal who at one of the studios I taught at. And you know, when I first came down the mountain, I had nowhere to stay. So I was sleeping in one of the yoga shalas on the floor and uh, just trying to get my feet on the ground. And um, I was practicing a lot and trying to figure out how to do this thing. And I met this girl who was teaching in that same shala, and, and we hit it off, and she helped me a lot to get some classes happening in the city. And uh, we fell in love, and we did a lot of things together. I, I always dreamed of someday going to Asia, but couldn't make it happen because of my struggles with addiction. And she helped me to do that to get my feet on the soil of uh, Asia and Thailand and eventually India. So I'm forever grateful for that. And she also uh, gave birth to our daughter, Marley. So we spent years, you know, growing, uh, teaching these crazy classes, like a hundred people in the class and loud music and all this stuff. And it was a party, you know. And also, like, I never was very open. <laughs> Let's rewind that. I was never open about how severe my struggle with addiction was with anyone. And I remember one time my mom saying to me, you know, like, if you would just be open about your struggles with addiction, you'll be able to help a lot of people. But I wasn't ready to yet, you know? I really wasn't. I was so, I was kind of in denial. Like, you know, if I could just, if I could just do enough yoga and get this far enough in the rear view mirror, then I would be okay. But I wasn't doing anything about the behavior. You know, I was still good to go on the weekend, take MDMA, dance around, get drunk, do whatever, and then get back to my sadhana. And it just never felt, right i felt out of integrity and i felt guilt and shame around those choices with substance but i never told anyone i just swallowed it and tried my best to be a good person and the thing about you know recovery yoga spirituality is that you know there aren't any rules about it but what is the most important is as you've heard me say anything can be medicine and anything can be poison it's just important that you're honest with yourself about the process and if you're not honest with yourself how could you know god which to me those practices which are synonymous are all about that knowing self and knowing god and i didn't i wasn't really really ready to know myself and so when I became a parent, and then I met uh, Sri Dharma Mitra and started doing deep postures and asanas, I was kind of growing in both areas of my life exponentially. So I was, uh, my body was doing things that I'd never done before. I was becoming more influential as a teacher. But then because I wasn't really being open and honest with anybody, including myself, um, my uh, addictive habits were getting worse because I was using them to cope with stress. I was using to cope with stress, and it was uh, getting bad. It was getting bad for me. It was getting bad for other people. And I remember, you know, when I would go to our Yale Town studio uh, from time to time to teach, 
I remember this inner knower voice saying to me like, dude, you got to stop drinking, man. Because if you don't, you're going to lose everything. You're going to lose the yoga, the students, the community, the studio, your partner, your daughter, like you're fucking up. And so I tried a couple times to do like 30 days or 90 days or, and nothing worked, you know, nothing worked. And as you all know from, if you've listened to previous episodes, uh, around that time I met Guru Singh from the Kundalini yoga world. And um, I was a broken man with like, I was at the end of my rope and willing to admit that I had a problem. And so I did, and I had a mentorship with him, and he helped me, gave me some techniques, and Kundalini Yoga, um, as taught by Yogi Bhajan, and the Sikh faith, these uh, gave me some structure to support me in my recovery. And I got sober for the first time, and I went for two years sober, but I was also teaching and leading and assuming the role of some kind of guru or leader. Um, but I was in early recovery, like, yikes, talk about a difficult place to be in leadership from. But I tried, and I fumbled around, and then I had a relapse uh, during that time. And that went on for a small stint, and then I was like, this, this isn't it. I'm done. I'm seriously done. And so I quit, you know, and I'm coming up on five years since then, and I've been steady in my sobriety. And then the challenge, as some of y'all know, is that during that time when I was doing the Kundalini Yoga, before that, I suffered a, a bad injury doing the splits in New York, and wasn't able to do asana in the same way. And so when I was doing the kundalini yoga and studying sikhi, uh, I leaned more into intellectual and devotional practices and went away from asana. And I was pretty vocal about it. I was a bit of a jerk. So if, any, if I was a jerk to you in those days uh, and harassed you in any way for doing asana, I'm sorry, I was wrong and in early recovery. My bad. Please, I hope you kept going, <laughs> and I'm sorry. So there you go. There you have it right here on Revealing the Diamond Public Apology. I was in early recovery and trying to white-knuckle my sobriety. But I would never let anyone, anyone not know that I was posturing quite well, dressed in white with a beard and a turban and and having these profound experiences, but also, you know, ego and arrogance and fear of I might fall and start using again. So, you know, things went like that for a while, and uh, I tried my best to um, walk that path of recovery and to be a good student to Guru Singh and to Kundalini Yoga and to the Dharma Temple community and to study and learn and pilgrimage to India and do all of the things. And then, you know, the, the pandemic happened. And when the pandemic happened, uh, 
all of the drama, I don't know, drama is not the right word, all of the violent acts that uh, Yogi Bhajan participated in started to come to the surface. And I felt like everything that I believed that was keeping me sober was being ripped out from under me. And I was so unstable. I was afraid. I was depressed. I felt betrayed. I, it was not a good place to be. I was not in a stable place. It was awful. And I tried my best to be a leader and make a living and support my family. But really what was happening was me like holding on with my eyes closed, going, just don't drink, just don't drink, just don't drink, just don't drink. You know, you got to think about this. This is like a 20-some year journey that I'm covering here in this hour-long podcast. And along the way, you know, I studied with many different teachers. I did lots of different asanas. I traveled. I taught. I sadhana. I woke up in the middle of the night. And I also drank and took drugs and got into trouble and fucked up my life and then got clean. And like this cycle just kept going around and around and around. I'll tell a more detailed version sometime when it's not on the podcast, if you're into it, like write a book or something. <laughs> Anyhow, uh, and that's, you know, during that time, I turned my back on everything. I was like, no asanas, no uh, pranayamas, no devotional music, no yoga, no, I cut my hair, like I was like, I'm out, peace, I'm out. And it was hard. It was really hard. I didn't know what to do. And uh, that whole pandemic thing took me for a spin. But I stayed, I stayed sober. First time ever in the face of big turmoil. God is good. And so I was like, after a series of events, was saying to my partner, like, I think we should just leave. And so we did. And, and the goal was, for me personally, was to go to Costa Rica. She had her own stuff. But my goal was to go to Costa Rica, get back in the condition I was with Dharma, even though I was drinking and acting like an idiot. I still was, like, lean and strong and could, you know, put my leg behind my head and la-di-da and uh, touch my feet on top of my head and the back bends and all that fancy stuff. So I was like, yo, I'm going to get back into that kind of condition just going to eat fruit, live in the jungle, you know, and after a couple months, I'll be back in action, but I'll be sober and it's going to be epic. But no, no spiritual music, no, nothing resembling what happened with Kundalini Yoga, just like asanas, fruit, and my hanging with my daughter. That's it. Leave the rest. And I went to the jungle <laughs> and I started practicing for about two weeks. And then I got super sick. And when I got super sick, I couldn't do anything. I came face to face, dark night of the soul to the max with my mortality. Angel of death stared me right in the face, said, what are you going to do with your life? And once again, as I said, I know this yoga path, this recovery path is for me, is who I am. 
And it's not linear. Like I said, it's been cycles and cycles and cycles of learning to let go of the stuff that's not working and learning to walk with integrity the path I've been called to, which is to live as Tiago Prem, to live as a yogi and a person in recovery and be authentic in the way I do it. I know. I know it. And I'm sure... You know, there's things in your life that you're being called to that you're, you know, maybe you are walking it fully or maybe you just haven't been ready yet and you hear this and you go, okay, I'm ready. Like, and you might not (laughs) get it all in the first try. Like it comes in circles and cycles. So anyhow, um, I I did eventually recover, obviously, from the sickness we went down to Panama and then to Mexico and uh, was able to recover from this sickness. And I got back into yoga and I met some amazing people who inspired me to practice two, three times a day, to go to classes, to start teaching again. Like, And I just spent a lot of time doing that, get back into eating a sattvic diet, get back into doing the asanas, be, go to satsang, chant the mantras. And it was in this time too that, you know, when I, when I was really sick, I'm telling you right now, I was like, if I died right now and I was alone, like my daughter couldn't come with me, my, my uh, partner couldn't come with me, I was just, that was it. Like walking towards the bright light, just me. And, and I was like, I felt really connected to Jesus like as a child. And so I started listening to this gospel and praise music and not dogma and like this is the religion and not none of that, just like the essence of the praise and the music. It just like was so soothing to my, I had this really bad cough and yeah, it was medicine, you know. And I've come to realize that Jesus is like my chosen uh, devata, is my guide, my my number one, my numero uno. But I still, you know, I've got Ganesh tattoos and Kali tattoos and Guru Nanak, and these are also my guides. But I learned from that experience that, like, for whatever reason, me and Jesus, we're tight, you know, and I'm still that hardcore kid and I still have that streak of atheism and I still am tough as nails but there's this part of me that when you strip everything away I feel deeply connected to this I don't know what a better way to say it than this guide or my beloved that they speak about in bhakti yoga so I just go with that doesn't have to make sense to anybody but me and so I read the whole Bible that year, and that was amazing. And then, uh, you know, as I, did, as I shared on previous on the podcast, went through the Bhagavad Gita, loved the yoga philosophies, just like got right back into it. And I was divinely inspired during that year to put together a program um, based on my experiences over the past 20 years of study and practice and also be able to support people in recovery in the process. And I've tried some different ways to figure out what the curriculum looks like over the past, uh, you know, year and a half. 
And it's just coming more and more to life as I serve the practice. And and the amazing part is when I made the curriculum for the tattvas, it was like everything that I've learned from Dharma Mitra and Ashtanga Yoga together in one program with philosophy and pranayama and meditation. And I, you know, started teaching some Dharma Yoga classes and I reconnected with the Dharma Yoga community and did some classes with Dharma and I'm forever grateful for Dharma. In fact, it was my teacher Tina who recommended that I go and see him and so that felt great and then when I came back to uh, Canada the goal was to share the Tatva's program and I always just sort of kept the Ashtanga piece in because it was a part of my roots but I wasn't doing the practice and I hadn't done it in a long time before my daughter was even born and I remember coming back here and saying to my partner, SJ, you know what? I think I'm going to go back to Ashtanga. I'm going to go to Mysore like once a week just to like feel it in my body again. And then I went back for one day a week and then two days a week and then every day. And then ever since I've just been like, yep. And it gave me the structure back that helped me early in my recovery from Kundalini Yoga. But but it was in like a way that felt like coming home. Like I just felt like this is the medicine that I've been searching around, trying to figure out how to apply, and it's always been right here. And it's been so profound doing the practice and uh, doing this mentorship with Taylor and now I'm like, I really want to share this with people again, like I used to back in the day up with Tina. And so I'm back. I mean, who would have thought, right? Like, look at this journey of 24 years of circles and cycles. And if you really look at the story, like I said, this is not the most detailed version. We covered a lot of time in a short period. But if you look at this journey, one thing you'll see is that Ultimately, I wanted to know God. That's why I was interested in yoga. And in order to do that, I had to get to know myself, which meant that I had to go through recovery. And I had to do it in a way that was unique to me because I had tried other methods and nothing quite stuck. You know, the AA didn't quite stick. The live-in didn't quite stick. But you know what did stick? Yoga. You know, and I tried different forms. But I always, as I said, felt at home in yoga. I know that this is what I'm here to do, to study, to teach. And I'm super grateful for it. And I'm super grateful for this platform to be able to share. And I'm super grateful for everyone who takes the time to study with me. And for the ones who've been patient enough as I've gone along to see that I don't have all the answers. I'm just doing my best like you, trying to sort out what this thing is and how it works. But one thing I do know is that this practice can teach you about trust, to be trustworthy, to trust yourself. You know, that's really what recovery is about. We get wrapped up in addiction because we let ourselves down over and over. We say we're going to do something, we don't do it. And it creates a toxic relationship with ourself. 
But a yoga practice, a sadhana, you say when you're going to practice and you show up for it. You say what you're going to do and you show up for it. You have a set series that you're working on. And even if you don't feel like it, you show up for it. That builds trust over time. And then as you do it, for me anyways, you start realizing that this isn't about making physical progress or making demands on the body. It's an exploration of the elements, the earth, the water, the fire, the breath. It's an exploration and devotion and a connection to God. It is a spiritual practice, and the deeper you get into it, the more the medicine starts to work, and the things that are not there in service of you living your dharma starts to drop away. They go away. Seriously, they're burned in the fire. And I want to be able to share that with anybody who needs it. You know, and I feel grateful to have all the tools, everything that I've learned from Dharma, everything that I've learned from Ashtanga Yoga, everything that I learned from Jiva Mukti, Kundalini, the Sikh found uh, the Sikh Foundation, the Sikh Faith. You know, yoga philosophy, the time I spent in college, the time I spent in recovery circles, the time I spent in live-in treatment centers, the time I spent in all-ages hardcore shows, the time I spent learning about veganism at those shows, the time I've spent with straight-edge kids and SEOG people who've been sober their whole lives, the time I spent with Noah Levine, you know, talking about punk rock and Dharma, I know that I'm a misfit and an outlier and I know that I can be charismatic and I know that people along the way have looked to me for answers and I'm here to say I don't have all the answers but I have experienced profound healing from this practice and this next chapter is about sharing Ashtanga Yoga because I said to SJ recently like when people say things like you know emotions are stored in the body and through movement we can start to release those i may have had those experiences like when i was lying on the floor in the jiva mukti yoga class but like you know i'm from german heritage and from punk rock so like i'm not all that emo and when i hear that i think yeah i don't know about that but since i've been doing ashtanga yoga there's some major healing going on here and I'm stoked to be able to share those experiences with people, and I am now already. So I would invite you, you know, if you if this resonates with you, I'm not claiming to have all the answers, but if you would like to walk this path together, you know, think about doing the Tattva's Yoga or come and do some, I've been doing some half-led primaries here in Vancouver and with the intention to uh, share more in the Mysore setting as well. It is not a linear path, but it will really help you to get to know yourself so that you can get to know your inner knower, so that you can get to know God. Because these paths of recovery, spirituality, and yoga, they really are the same journey from my experience. And if you can be consistent in your practice with the best quality of effort that you can muster and you just keep going, it's amazing what this practice will do for you. It worked for me. Thanks for listening, everybody. I hope you enjoyed this journey. We covered a lot of ground in a short period of time. Please consider becoming a member of the uh, show or becoming a full-time student of the Tatva's Yoga Studies program. 
It's an honor and a gift to be here and to share openly and vulnerably with you all. Look forward to sharing the magic of Ashtanga Yoga with you soon and all the other things I've learned along the journey. Much love, peace and blessings, and we'll chat soon. Peace. Thank you.